Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Hate is our challenge this episode. Taylor and I flipped a, a beer cap lid, and then we had two mm-hmm. options, and Hate won the coin toss. And so Hate is our topic uh, this episode. Oh, my and uh, my name is uh, Rob. I... Uh, shoot, here we go. Edit. Blah, 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 blah. My name is Rob Ray. I use the he, his gender pronoun, and I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in LA, and I'm also a designer here in Los Angeles. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, uh, CAD CAM evangelist, noted tall person. I'm a he, his kind of guy. You propose that there'd be some kind of abnormal format tonight. What's What's that all about? I have so typically on the podcast, right? We often focus on the making of the thing process because mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the f- one of the funnest parts and cool parts. But what's weird is the thing I came up with that I felt really committed to doing. It's a um, no, it's not really a spoiler, but it has. It's a thing that has to sort of the end product is the experience of the work. Not there isn't any. There was making of it, but that part is so boring that I have to only show you the end result. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm kind of that way too. I, I managed to claw out some uh, some lead up images. I do. Ha- I do have a no- a news story for you up front and from the technical or uh, techie Schadenfreude department. Uh, you know, we've been talking about Cody Wilson, the uh, the 3D printed gun manufacturer, and uh, yes. sort of obvious bro provocateur. Yes. So apparently, he was. Um, trying to solicit sex with a sex worker who was underage oh, no. uh, and has, quote, missed his flight returning from Taiwan. <laughs> so that guy is in huge trouble, man. <laughs> oh. oh, libertarians. When will you learn? Yeah. yeah. You can't just do whatever you want, man. You are not an island upon- onto yourself. <laughs> yes. No matter which islands you visit. No matter which. <laughs> yes. So yes, so uh we'll see we'll see what happens with that fellow. But um I don't know. I mean I, I on the one hand, just the gun conversation I find to be interesting, but then all of the kind of terrible politics that he promotes as well swirling around it takes it from the potential to be really interesting and then just makes it terrible. You know? Yeah. I have a few bits I have a few little little weird just fun things. Oh, let's get to it. One of them I feel very weird about. It's an it's an evening of titillation. It's so goofy. I have entered the realm of smart devices, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you get like a light bulb that tells you if it's on or not? I did. You did? <laughs> I, did. I didn't get that, but I got the yeah. Wemo Mini Smart Plug. I am on, exactly. Ro- Robert. <laughs> yes. And I, yeah. it's, I'm totally underutilizing it, but it makes me happy in one one way. Mm-hmm. Um. The Wemo Mini Smart Plug is thirty dollars, and you plug it in, and it, and it does have an app. Um, yep. But what's cool about it is is the following: I have a wall unit air conditioner, and this wall unit air conditioner is, you know, the dumbest device ever built. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also live in a very hot climate, and so this is so bougie. I feel horrible. Oh yes. <laughs> and so what I can do is I can tell it when I want it to turn on and off with a, a timer. Yeah. Well your pool boy spoons uh pure sugar into your mouth. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to do any if this and that or any sort of thing. I just say like turn on at this time and turn off at that time. But it I will say this. Part of that reason is because I am a very scatterbrained person particularly in the morning early morning Mm -hmm. and in the morning i have nine thousand things to do and i do them as fast as possible and i don't think about anything else and so when i have to insert the nine thousandth in one thing into my morning i mess it up and the thing i mess up is leaving the house with the air conditioner on yeah And and i normally have the air conditioner turned up pretty high so it doesn't really come on that much except for you know when it's really hot in the morning or at night, but like during the day when I'm gone, it would come on a lot. And so the cost of the psychological damage it does to me being like, Oh my God, I left the air conditioner on. I'm a total idiot. And it's running all day full tilt. I feel like a total Mm -hmm. dummy. So I was like, 
I justified this ridiculously expensive kind of dumb thing to be like, okay, I know now at 7 a.m. the air conditioner is off no matter what. But Rob, but Rob you can get two for forty eight ninety nine. <laughs> you can't. Because everyone needs one in every block. Well, so anyway, so yeah. I'd been I'd been thinking about a similar DIY project because I have a big power strip in my basement, the kind that you screw onto a workbench that's you know three feet long or something. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm always forgetting to unplug soldering irons Me and too. glue guns Me constantly. Too. Me too. Uh, yeah. And I think once or twice I've found one that had been on for like more than 24 hours, just yep. kind of sitting there chugging along. Yeah, I, I left a hot glue gun on literally an entire weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it's freaky, man. With hot glue just dripping out the nozzle, you know. <laughs> so I was thinking about doing one where uh, I would have to engage it in some way like hit a button and then i would get a a 60 minute countdown and so if i was working in the studio for a long time things you know would turn off but i would make sure that they would never it was impossible to leave it on for more than an hour no matter what yes um but i don't know maybe i should just buy the uh the integrated solution the one that's already taken care of is is it hackable i will say that the wemo mini smart plug has an auto off timer feature on the app which means mm. you can turn it on and say, like, run this for one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15, 30, 45, or one hour, or custom. Now, but, but did I build it is always my question. I'm oh, yeah, to wrestle I with it. I know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I have two Raspberry Pis sitting on my desk that are doing nothing, and I could just make it. Yeah, yeah. like, what if, what if you could have your soldering iron run by something that is susceptible to kernel crash and all sorts of problems? Yeah, right, right. Very exciting. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Or Colonel Panic, I guess. Colonel Panic, yeah. I feel bad about this purchase, but because we are makery, creative people, we can also excuse any purchase by being like, well, it it's part of my intellectual stimulation. It's part of my mm-hmm. learning about the world and making of art. <laughs> you, know, you know, when my partner Audrey uh, used to work for the Brookfield Zoo, there was, um, so, so they have enrichment for the animals, right? So you have to find oh. species-specific entertainments and jollies for the to keep the animals from just, you know, kind of uh, uh, withering. And so uh, apparently for the big carnivores, they would do this thing uh, when it, in the summer where they'd make them meat popsicles. <laughs> and so they'd take, you Aww. know, a bunch of um, big pieces of meat and then freeze it into a cube. And I'm talking about like the size of an ice chest. Yeah. And then they'd go <laughs> dump it out there and, you know, they couldn't quite get a hold of it, but they were really into it and trying to pull the pull the beef out of there or whatever. Like the spine of a cow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and so I don't know if I told you about this, but at some point I was talking to one of Audrey's colleagues there uh, and she said, well, apparently they're under consideration was this device, this enrichment device where it would be sort of like the pneumatic delivery system for an old bank, um, but it would shoot out like blood gelatin capsules at random so the bears could like hear it coming, but they wouldn't know which of the five nozzles it was coming out of, and they have to go chase it down because it would go launching out into the enclosure. <laughs> and let me tell you, I have never wanted a contract so bad in my life, yeah. Rob. But it it was not to be, and I don't think they made it at all. But man, that would meet Lawton's gamification. <laughs> yeah, <it's> like, <laughs> hey, right. We we can start our new company. Get bought by Facebook. I have one other ridic- ridiculous thing in the same realm of this smart home. But it fits my needs nicely, and so I'm going to uh-huh, stand by uh-huh. it. So many people maybe have heard of like a Nest Cam, you know, these cameras that are like, you know, cloud-enabled or whatever. But Indeed. And I, I have a, a small youth in my home that I have to make mm-hmm. sure is... is Breathing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, breathing uh, and sleeping and like not crawling out of the crib or whatever. What's good is this, is if you can see them, then at least you're like, they're not being harmed, they're fine. They're uh-huh. just hanging out, you know. So all I need is that. So a Nest Cam is like a very expensive thing, and many of the other devices are similarly priced, like $129. There's the Amazon one. There's the Nest one is like $149, or I don't know. They're all mm-hmm. expensive. There is a somewhat, I guess, off-brand, I don't know, camera called the Wise Cam, W-I-Z-E. It's mm-hmm. $40, and so far it's been 100% what I need. You are really just begging to become part of a Russian bot- botnet rep every episode I, I, now. I am. I'm excited. Downloading about this. from download.com or, or what? SourceForge? SourceForge. You're installing your smart switches. <laughs> my God. Have you learned nothing about your OPSEC? But you were saying that there's was, was one more. Yeah, my, <laughs> so, operation, my OPSEC is really bad. 
You're yeah. upset, dude. Tisk tisk. Yeah. But, so I have... but carry on. You're gonna you're gonna say one more excellent feature. The killer the killer feature. The killer feature is is that it's a quarter of the price and seems to be pretty much just as good for what I want. Yep. The bonus is is it's the same thing I need to watch my 3D printer do prints. Ah. Right in the other room or something. Because the 3D printer, you can set the house on fire with it. Do you carry it around or did you buy two? You can carry it around. It's just like as a plug-in object. And what's kind of nice is it's Wi-Fi, right? So you just unplug it, move it, and plug it in. Pretty nice. I mean, it's not battery-operated. I mean, it's not that fancy, but it's pretty nice. Anyway, 40 bucks. So if you've ever thought, like, I need a camera for a bunch of reasons, but I don't want to pay $129 or $199, however much it is, and I don't want to pay, like, a monthly cloud service, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Forget about that. This is... This does the trick. Mm-hmm. It's the Wise sure. Cam Pan 1080p. I also don't need 4K or anything like that, and I don't need to like think that someone is breaking into my house all the time. I just need to look at stuff. Man, I might have to check that out. This is a little pop culture. I just watched a movie I really enjoyed called Hereditary. Have you seen that mm, one? No. It's a horror movie, and Audrey and I haven't had a lot of chance to watch horror movies of late. And let me tell you, when the horror movie, uh, when one of the protagonists who is um, not in for an enjoyable time, is named the same name as your daughter, and then you're watching the thing through your fingers for the last 20 minutes, and then you have to go into a dark room and sort of help a toddler stop crying. Uh, we we had some spooky-ass <laughs> nighttime visitations with our kid. <laughs> you know, because you're in there in the dark, like calming yeah. her down. We don't have nightlights yeah, or anything yeah, like right. that. And you, and you just you just feel the you, everything is like looking at your back and you, you, know, you totally imagine uh, the room being full of horrors and so <laughs> forth so that was kind of um a great a great thing that i did to myself but but it's a it's great it's as a movie if you're a fan of the genre it's by a first-time director who also wrote it and i, I find that people directing their own writing is usually just a recipe for disaster but this was great oh yeah um, that's cool i don't know if anybody out there is a fan of Tak Fujimoto, for example, was the guy that made Silence of the Lambs look so good. Uh, he was the director of photography, oh. and, and this had a similar vibe where the photographer, I don't know who it was, but they were just so on top of it. So it's really beautiful, even as it's really um, uh, terrifying wow. and and so forth. So check it out. That's cool. What's for, it called again? Watch. Hereditary. Hereditary. It's, uh, I think, just started getting rented on Amazon. And I think they, they managed to do pretty much the entire thing without a jump scare. And oh, so. Nice. Um. Yeah. Yeah. They don't take the easy route, um, except for one notable exception. <laughs> oh, 2018. Yeah. Cool. Check it out. I just, yeah, I just yeah, bookmarked good. it. And then the, the the little girl who starred in it also just looks so weird to begin uh-huh. with. So the casting's great, and it's got um Tony Collette and uh, um oh, what's his name, the guy with the Irish accent. Just watch cool. it. I've I've reached the end of my memory bank. So so hate is our challenge. Sure is. I believe you go first anyway, Taylor, but I had I have asked you to go first mm-hmm. on this episode and if that feels amicable amenable. If it feels great. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh yeah, take a look. I have put a zip uh, about of about eleven images online. And uh this one was hard to document, so I'm curious oh. to see. I mean yes and no. It it like it could have been one picture. <laughs> it was just result. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see if, how you put put the story together looking at the pictures. Cool. Let's see. Oh, okay. I have the zip. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I see ten. Uh, well, eleven. <laughs> 11 images, numbered 0 through 10. And the first one, <laughs> wow, the first one is looks to be, is a certain type of photo that many everyone has seen before, and it's like a kind of generic clothing model in an Ed Hardy t-shirt. Yeah. I don't really know much about Ed Hardy, but I know the look. And the look is this kind of like, um, uh, the Ed Hardy look has, a, it's like a kind of old, like there was this like original tattoo artist person like sailor bob or something and like that kind of style of tattoo which i know nothing about um is a very hand-drawn kind of aesthetic of like skulls and like the ribbons with like text on them Mm -hmm. and this it had there's a skull here and like a 
a kind of ribbon with text on it that says death of love. And there's a heart, like a Valentine's heart, like sort of broken in half, kind of lo-fi. And then there's like roses. There's a rose and a skull with like, oh, with the rose is like a threaded through the mouth and out like a crack in the top of the skull. Like it's a very mm-hmm. sort of biker goth style image. And then there's, um, oh, so I guess this is, a, it's like a tiger head. And I, this tiger head, it's like its mouth is open and it's like illustrated in a very kind of flat style. Like this tiger ran really hard into a piece of glass <laughs> and isn't like, ah, <laughs> and I associate this tiger with like world war or Korean like war, like helicopter pilots or something. I don't know. I have some sort of cultural <laughs> connection sure? to this image that I can't quite suss out. And then it says Los Angeles at the bottom again in that sort of um, handwritten hand lettered typeface. So that's the first image. That was a long explanation of this first image, but I kind of needed to set the stage here. Uh, okay. What's the second one? Oh, Oh, okay. This is a tattoo. So we're still, still in the sort of world of tattoo to an illustration and it's a lighthouse and it's nicely it's a really nice tattoo it has like lots, lots of nice interesting colors and it's like a lighthouse with like a or with some sort of light rays emanating out the top and there's kind of a red sky imagery and then oh oh okay so then the second tattoo is this super colorful amazing it looks like it was just done but i'm not but it's not super puffy but it's a little bit puffy it's an elbow piece, which means the tattoo sort of emanates from the center of the elbow and fans out around the the arm, the bend of the arm. So it means it hurt. <laughs> Hell yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never done that, but it seems like it would really hurt. Um, and I don't know how to describe this other than it's a very ornate flower with like lots of different colors in the petals. It's like it's fat line. Uh, the colors are really... Um, uh, bright, so there's yes, not a very, lot of very subtle, subtle coloring. Bright reds, bright greens. They're very like primary almost hues. Turquoise, mm-hmm. orange. Yep, and it's um radially symmetrical, right? Meaning mm-hmm. it doesn't have a head or a, a butt or feet. It just comes out from all sides like a sea and enemy. It's like that. I think they all have butts. I mean, they, but sometimes yeah. the butt is the mouth. Is the center? Yeah, that's like us. We are. We are sealumed animals, right, right? Meaning we have a hole that runs through us from the top to the bottom. And the other thing that fascinates me about that is that technically that is outside of our bodies. Yes. Yeah. We have a hole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just very tightly pinched in certain places. Indeed. (laughs) I can can almost hear the edit points now, Rev. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Leave leave the dumb stuff. Yeah. Uh, Let's let's see. Uh, Okay. Um... The next tattoo, interesting. So, so far we have a series of tattoos, and I don't believe, Taylor, you own these tattoos on your body. No, no, these are just, this is source material online. And this is a very ornate blue sort of chrysanthemum-y kind of flower mm-hmm. Yep. on someone's arm or leg, ankle, forearm, something like that. It's too close mm-hmm. up to tell. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So the next image... Is again is a is back again to this Sailor Jerry is who I'm trying to think of mm-hmm. that Sailor Jerry tattoo style and it says rat it's a it's almost like someone's business card or something oh but it's a font okay so let me just explain what I'm seeing so it's a piece of paper uh, but we're seeing the photo of it and that paper looks like it's been dipped in coffee five or six times it's like a brown splotchy tone like to make it look antiqued and on the left side of the image it says rats get fat while brave men die and on the right hand side it says out of step font company presents rats get fat a b c d e f g h h p c r s u v w s z so oh 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 so this is a font company who has made the font that is the sailor jerry style typeface mm-hmm. image number five okay so okay some things are coming to me now flash art is one of the words i was trying to come up with yeah, that just appeared to me, and this is a a panel of what I think of as flash art, meaning it's drawings that are done by tattoo artists. So if when someone comes in and says, "I want to get a tattoo, but I don't know what," 
you can show them your work and show them the style of work and they'll be like, I want that one. And they can pick from the list, almost like ordering something from a restaurant menu uh, for their tattoo. And so, you know, you can see why these exist because probably a lot of people want to get a tattoo but don't really know what they want. But there's some strange things happening here. I should also say this one is not me. I did not do this. Yes. Okay, yeah, this is not you. <laughs> and the... This is a piece of Flash Art, but it's, I think it's the Arby's menu in Flash Art style. Because in the yes. right-hand side, <laughs> there, there is an eagle with its like, talons out in this kind of glorious fashion. Flash Art-y, kind of Sailor Jerry art style fashion. But there's a, 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 a box of Arby's curly fries emanating from the sort of chest of the eagle. And then there's mm-hmm. like the devil, like the kind of cartoon devil with the horns and the pointy tail, and it's standing on top of a roast beef sandwich. And then there's some of that scroll art again, lettering, and it says, We have the meats. <laughs> and it's wrapped around a sword that's piercing a what looks to be a cheddar roast beef sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so. Image number six now. Oh, we have a a basic Weller soldering station. And it, many people have seen these before, even if they don't own one. It's a very nice light blue um, plastic uh, kind of box. And then coming out of it is a cabled soldering iron. So you'll see these in like industrial manufacturing places, but you also see them just in like art. A lot of like art shops tend to have these because they have like a, it's very basic and rugged, and so lots of people could use one and probably doesn't need much maintenance. And there's like a little stand next to it that has like a, a looks like a bed spring. And what that sort of bed spring is for is that you can hold the very hot soldering iron while it's on in this springy thing, and it doesn't burn your hand, and it doesn't set the table on fire. So this is a, like a stock photo of the soldering iron. It doesn't have anything to do with um, tattoos as far as I can tell. Oh, Okay, image number seven looks to be this is the same image of the soldering iron, and what's happened is is Taylor has done some hand line drawing on top of the image uh that like the outlines and certain highlighted features of the soldering iron, but laid over the top of the image, and so it makes actually strangely it's like almost using the image just for color and shade which is really nice, like the blue of the soldering iron comes through. But then Taylor's hand illustration of the soldering iron with like a kind of thick line is is laid on top. It looks cool. Okay, okay. So image number nine is an even more abstracted version of the soldering iron. The image it's, of the iron itself is gone, but the, but the tracings he did still remain. Oh, wow. That's cool. Okay, so this is cool. So... Now we see the soldering iron tip. Oh man, this is so cool. The soldering iron itself has been it's been hand illustrated in the style of a Sailor Jerry tattoo. But the iron has been cut and it's like so the cord is frayed. So the base station is no longer there. It's just the iron itself. And that's kind of what most people think of when they think of a soldering iron. It's just that like cylinder that they're holding with the hot end. And there's like really great like um, lightning bolts, like electric lightning bolts coming out of the frayed cord. And then we see the same Sailor Jerry style ribbon. And what we're seeing here is on the banner, there's three pieces of text and it's voltage, amperage, and resistance, which is super rad. The lines have all been thickened quite a bit and the lightning bolts have like yellow filled into the lightning bolts. So they have this nice kind of yellow pop to them. So I'm very interested in hearing about, about this. But it looks like sure. what Taylor has made is a tattoo that um, embraces certain stylings from the old guard of tattooing uh, and applied it to electronics work. Yes, yeah, styling, which I previously hated. Uh, oh. So, so, yeah, so oh. my, the thing I was trying to do was to enter into a visual style that I generally don't like. And so usually the sort of Ed Hardy, Sailor Jerry traditional tattooing thing, which is really not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, and so I was trying to make myself just learn about it and work in the style. And about the first maybe three hours just sucked so bad because I really <laughs> did not like it. Um, and so I was trying to do it 
all in Illustrator, and I was just I just could not get the vibe to start at all. And then I found if I just did a pencil drawing and started inking it with a Sharpie, so that was sort of a, a natural way to work fat line, then it started coming together pretty quick. And then I, I was messing with a workflow that, that wound up pretty nice where I'd do a drawing and then put it into Illustrator and clean it up and then print it back out with certain areas in light gray. And then I could just draw them again. So that way I didn't obliterate the pencil sketch the first time through. Yeah, right. Um, so I was able to substitute for, I mean, you and I have talked about this a lot, but substitute for my uh, ambitions not matching up to my freehand drawing talent. And I could just, you know, just do it again and again until the different parts came out correctly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It looks great. I get it. Like That is not a style I would be inclined to embrace. Mm-hmm. But it's a thing, I like, I really like your version of it. Like, and part of it is because I have a, affinity i guess to the the themes in the yeah, image the content, yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i can't help but be like that's cool so you're gonna get this with me <laughs> are you are you gonna get it yeah yeah i'm gonna get it wow for sure hmm, i'll have to think about it yeah just the, the uh the the last tidbits that you might find interesting so um, if you look at, I don't know that there's necessarily one central place that defines all the tattoo styles, but I think it's widely recognized that you have traditional and traditional is going to be fat lines. It's going to be gradients that are really harsh, you know, so going from like deep red to white oh, yeah. in a very short space. Uh-huh. Um, and then you're going to have a lot of very specific themes like the nautical theme is a big one. And then you're going to have, um, like, I think the skulls and stuff are not necessarily traditional. It's more of the uh, marine mm. stuff um, from yeah. being in the you know navy or whatever that right, right. that gets it started. So so I think technically, no matter how close the style gets, because the content is different, this would be neo traditional. Um, and this is just based on uh, internet research I was doing. So I was talking to a colleague of mine, Julie at Columbia College, who has a lot of traditional tattoo work. And then she was saying, you know, oh, if you want to get something like that, you know, you might think about going to a shop that um, specializes in a particular tattoo style. So there's a, yeah. it turns out there's a traditional shop in my old neighborhood, right, like right next to my old house. So I might go uh, check out uh, those guys, Great Lakes Tattoo. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and uh, yeah, and then the other part of it was just trying to sort of up my workflow game where I could draw and scan so it would be um, pencil drawings to scans to Photoshop to Illustrator, and then printing back out light gray, re-inking stuff, scanning it, cleaning it up, uh, printing it, and so on, um, so that I could do stuff. Like the reason that you see one that's not entirely done is I didn't like the spacing between the um, the wraparounds on the on the ribbon, uh-huh. and so I was doing some different tricks to get in there and sort of detach it and move it out. But yep. then there's parts that w- once you've kind of committed to the hand drawing thing, you can't just get in there in um, Illustrator and fill in the gaps. You have to like you know put it back yep. out and redraw it yep. and, and so forth. So yeah, yeah. But I, I really like how it turned out. So it was it was a good exercise in just totally hating my life for the first part, and then finally <laughs> getting some, getting somewhere that I liked. It's really interesting. I think a lot of people who do commercial artwork or tattoos or whatever must. Mm-hmm it must be an interesting time for them because you do have these digital tools that are a part of the workflow, but maybe not all of the workflow. And so mm-hmm. like that sort of being able to transition in and out of hand drawing, scanning or like hand drawing in a digital device. But then also like the part of hand drawing is like, you can't just be like, I'm going to copy and paste that part or whatever, you know, like it's, there's a weird overlap between, the two that's been interesting for me to explore on the iPad as well, even though I don't really mm-hmm. do a lot of drawing. And so, yeah, it's been cool. It looks great. It's cool. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah, it's cool. And then if anybody's interested, I mean, this coincides as with so many things with the classes I'm teaching, but I just did this whole YouTube series about um, how to make custom brushes in Illustrator. So that's another oh, thing really? people can check out where you, I had my students um, make all these marks physical marks on a page and then we scanned them and turned them into brushes you could use with a with a tablet um and one student even when she came to class and just hadn't gotten the work done 
we grabbed one of my colleagues who's a painting professor and was wearing a really messy jacket. And so we just stuck her jacket on the scanning bed and made a bunch of brushes out of the uh, paint marks all over her jacket. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> that's, that's really cool that you took a style that you find repulsive and really tried to, you really committed to it, which is awesome. Yes. <laughs> that's, sure. yeah, that's in that, yeah, that's a good thing for anyone to do, I guess. But it's painful. Speaking of painful. Okay. So. All right. So I, I guess. I guess I'm up. Um, so I wrote a thing uh, mm-hmm. this time. Spoiler alert. Here we go. And um, so writing is not a thing that I do very much, and I feel like I don't do it particularly well. But our topic is hate. And I actually did do, from from last episode, I had done some things around um, uh, uh, mind mapping to find to sort of explore a topic and kind of ex- exhaust my thinking about it and sort of see where it took me. I did do that, but the project then su- took such a turn that I felt like that at the part at the beginning, the mind mapping at the beginning wasn't particularly fruitful or interestingly connected to this writing that I did. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I guess I'm going to read it. Wow. This feels really weird. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's called, this is what fucking up looks like. Here we go. When I was a sophomore in high school, I had a haircut that my generation called skater bangs. Skater bangs were really just very long bangs that draped down over one of your eyes. If you were really hardcore, you managed to let your bangs grow way down past your chin. And if you were really, really hardcore, you shaved the sides of your head, which exaggerated the look. If you can't picture what skater bangs look like, Google image search the phrase Tony Hawk 1986, and you'll see a few pictures of his haircut that get you pretty close to the concept. The Skater Bangs haircut was also a good way to sneak a true punk rock haircut up on your suburban parents two weeks at a time. There was a lot of long hair flopping around all over the shaved hair, so if you played your cards right, you could just cut the sides a little higher every couple of weeks and casually start letting the back grow out, and you'd have a pretty good mohawk by the end of the school year. But my sophomore year of high school, I didn't get that far. By the middle of sophomore year, I had grown my bangs right down to about my chin, and I was pretty stoked about this feat of counterculture that I had performed. I looked and felt cool. My parents, on on their hand, hated this haircut. And after trying many different forms of cajoling and coercion to get me to cut my hair, I was finally offered a deal. If you cut your hair, we will buy you a guitar amp. (laughs) And at the time, I was playing a small-scale electric bass like crazy. Seven Seconds was my favorite band, and I knew most of their songs, and I even had a few of the more complicated Dead Kennedys riffs under my belt. But I had the smallest amplifier known to humanity. It was so quiet, the sound of me plunking the strings and buzzing the frets was louder than the actual amplified sounds of the bass coming out of the amp. My parents' offer of an actual real guitar amplifier created the ultimate teen skate punk conundrum. With a decent amplifier, I could become a bona fide punk rock star, the thrashingest bass player in Orlando, Florida. (laughs) I just had to cut my hair for it, possibly rendering me the dorkiest of dorks. But I quickly accepted this trade. Capitalism and my ego won out. It was worth losing the coolest aspect of my skate punk identity in order to actually be able to play the bass line of minor threats in my eyes at a proper door-shaking volume. But now I had to go to an actual hair salon with my mom to get a normal kid haircut. (laughs) And I was known in high school as the person you went to to get yourself a proper weirdo haircut. I had saved up some money and bought some clippers at Sally Beauty Supply when I was 15. And I had a makeshift hair salon in the very back corner of my backyard. Kids would come over and they'd sit on my milk crate barber chair and I'd unplug the water pump from my, the fountain in my parents' backyard <laughs> and run the extension cable over to my barber shop so I could plug in my hair clippers. I'd create punk rock masterpieces as locks of their hair fell into the grass. This made my trip to the chain store hair salon even more humiliating. And the haircut I got there was even worse. I looked like a pimply teenage Dennis the Menace in a homemade Dead Kennedys t-shirt, and I felt like an idiot. My punk rocker cachet and self-worth took a nosedive. So after flipping through various records and cassette tapes for fashion tips and asking my friends how to get through this moment of crisis, I decided I would just shave my entire head. 
It was a look that I was both counterculture but also weirdly acceptable to parents born in the 1940s. I might be mistaken for a Nazi skinhead, but, you know, it seemed like there were plenty of Ian MacKay-type straight-edge punks with their head shaved, and they clearly weren't Nazis and looked super cool. And maybe later I could shave one half of my head and grow out the other half to look like Troy Mowat from 7 Seconds, who was a super cool dude that I looked up to, and that was a tough look. So I did it. I went over to my corner of the backyard, plugged in my shavers, popped off the number two guard, and I leaned over and put the razor to my head and watched my goofy-ass haircut fall into the grass. And then a lot of weird shit started immediately happening. The very next day at school, I got slapped in the back of the head super hard by an African-American kid at school. I didn't know him at all, but in the three hours I had been at school with a shaved head, word had gotten out that I was a Nazi skinhead now. 1988 was the year Geraldo Rivera had his nose broken on television on his television talk show by a skinhead. Non-punk rocker people were starting to discover who skinheads were, and if you were a 15-year-old kid in combat boots, fatigue pants, and a skateboard under your arm, you were one of those skinheads. This isn't what I thought would happen. The next week, I learned that my first real girlfriend had been cheating on me for months with a number of different skinheads in town. Why did she like them instead of me? Would she like me now that I didn't have any hair? And then, a week or two later, a group of four Nazi skinheads came up to me at a concert and asked me, are you a sharp? And here's where I take a minute to talk about what sharp is and what it meant to be sharp in Central Florida in 1989. Sharp is an acronym of the letters S-H-R-P. It means skinhead against racial prejudice. It means you're an anti-skinhead skinhead a skinhead that hates Nazis. And in Central Florida in 1989, the population of sharp skinheads was essentially zero. And it was essentially zero for a reason. There was dozens of Nazi skinheads in Central Florida. Someone might get the bright idea to become a sharp, but after a few months of getting their ass seriously kicked over and over, they would just decide to grow their hair out and be a punk rocker again. Being sharp meant you were essentially a lone wolf skinhead telling the dozens of Nazi skinheads in your town to go fuck themselves. And so now here I am, standing in front of four Nazi skinheads, and they're asking me if I'm a sharp, which translates into, are we going to beat your ass right here and now? And I didn't have the confidence and swagger to say, yeah, I'm a sharp. So I said something else. And this is the point in the story where you learn that I was something worse than a goofy-ass kid from suburban central Florida. I was both a coward and an idiot kid from suburban central Florida. So they said the, so I said the one thing an idiot coward kid in combat boots with his head freshly shaved could say to escape getting hospitalized. I said, I'm an independent. I'm an independent is a phrase a lot of people probably don't understand, so I'll unpack that for a second also. Being quote-unquote, an independent, is a weird loophole in the whole skinhead thing. It meant that you were, in fact, a skinhead, but that you weren't affiliated. And most skinheads are either locally or nationally affiliated with an organization. It's what skinheads do. They travel in packs and do horrible shit to other people. So in 1989, if you were a racist skinhead, you were either affiliated nationally with the American Front or the very nascent Confederate Hammerskins. The American Front was a nationwide organization of Nazi skinheads that were pretty popular in the late 80s. American Front became even more popular when they received national recognition via a cover story by Sassy Magazine. It's here that I want to talk about how fucked up and not funny and not glamorous all of this is. I started this story by talking about giving my friends goofy haircuts, but the violence these organizations perpetrate is very real and should be taken seriously. I'll highlight some of the recent activities of these groups. Last week... Jacob Albert Lasky, an American Front member, pled guilty to fourth-degree assault and unlawful use of a weapon. Lasky also served 11 years for a hate crime in 2002. Longtime leader of the American Front, David Lynch, was found shot to death in 2011. David Lynch was the skinhead that smashed Geraldo Rivera in the face with a chair on national daytime television 23 years earlier. In 2017, 10 members of American Front in Orlando were arrested for criminal conspiracy and committing hate crimes. Hammerskin Nation, which was started in 1988, is now a global organization. They're the country's largest skinhead, Nazi skinhead gang and have been tied to at least nine murders in four states. Wade Michael Page, a member of the Hammerskin Nation, killed six Sikhs in Wisconsin in 2012. 
These guys are more than just some gang of teenage bullies ruining everybody's backyard party. And here is my stupid ass saying, I'm one of you, I'm just not affiliated. Declaring yourself as an independent also meant that you weren't affiliated with the local Orlando skinhead organization, the O-Town Skins. O-Town was a small group of racist skinheads that formed in the very early 80s in Orlando and had gone on to become nationally known skinhead adults in their 20s and 30s that had connections to the KKK. It's weird to call O-Town the OG skinheads, but that's what they were. Every teenage skater and punk rocker in Orlando knew who O-Town was and knew to disappear when they were around. It is very weird now that most people think of a failed boy band when they hear the word O-Town. Language is weird that way. So, by saying I'm an independent, I definitely escaped a beating. One of them replied, Okay, man, cool, you're independent. Let me shake your hand. And lots of weird, sketchy handshaking handshaking happened. I can only imagine what my hand felt like in theirs. A lot of those guys had dropped out of high school early and become roofers or worked for lawn services. Their hands were rough. My hands were clammy, dumb, soft teenage boy hands that had done lots of time on a mechanical IBM PC keyboard. Skinheads also like to shake hands in this weirdly menacing and tribal way. It's one of the brotherhood things that functions to lock people in. It's an act of tribalism and peer pressure. You're shaking my hand, that means you're saying you're one of us. It is also a weird, nonverbal way of saying, I was going to beat your ass, but now I'm shaking your hand, but maybe I'll still beat your ass. So I hear from them, I guess we'll see you around then. You should come to this party at Obi's house. I just got invited to a skinhead party. And not any skinhead party. Obi was the oldest, most credible, and most menacing O-Town skinhead in Orlando. He was an adult with his own house and stuff. Because being a quote-unquote independent doesn't really mean I don't have an affiliation. What it really means is I don't yet have an affiliation. And so they invited me to the party either to kick my ass or to groom me for membership or both. That same night, Brandy, a super cute and very dangerous skinhead girl, started putting her arm around me. And this is what fucking up looks like. For the next eight months, I fell deeper into skinhead culture. During this time, I managed to successfully play the game of being an independent. But just because I was a clueless coward poser doesn't mean I'm not without fault. I surrounded myself with idiot racists. I went to that skinhead party at Obie's that night. Brandy and I got there pretty late. And there was a television set and about 40 beer cans at the bottom of a brown algae-filled pool and a bunch of sketchy skinheads and rednecks passed out in comical poses. When I asked a very shit-faced guy why there was a TV at the bottom of the pool, I expected some sort of Dead Kennedys-influenced television-makes-you-dumb response. But instead, what I heard was, Obi was super wasted last night and thought Jews were coming out of the TV, so he threw it in the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Television might make you dumb, but the people at that party, including me, were a whole lot dumber. I let my identity be formed by cowardice and anger. Everyone at the time was to blame except me. I was also just too chicken, chicken shit to get away from those people. After about eight months of trying on a very horrible identity, I ran away from it. By the next year, I had wiggled my way back into being a run-of-the-mill, blue-haired punk rocker. I just stopped going outside for about three months and started growing my bangs out again and dyed them blue, and strangely and awesomely discovered Public Enemy, Meat Beat Manifesto, Consolidated, and the Urban Dance Squad. The disgust and punishment of my parents was worth getting away from those people and hanging out with my old punk and art friends. A few times during my walking away from the skinhead life, I was threatened with beatings for quote-unquote selling out my race, but I just let the threats roll off me. I didn't say or do anything in response. I just decided to let the beatings come if they were going to come, but they never did. A few skinheads I didn't even know came to my house and rang my bell, but I knew better than to answer the door, and they just moved on to other people to fuck with. There was two other things that happened to me that scared me more than getting beaten up. The first thing. At one point, I was in a convenience store with my shaved head, Doc Martens, and bomber jacket. I was buying a Gatorade or something. I don't remember. And this very square-looking guy in a suit says to me, Hey, are you a skinhead? And I figured he was probably a tourist, a lot of tourists would pay punks to get their pic- money to get their picture taken with them in downtown Orlando. They loved it until we spat at them <laughs> while they were taking the picture. So I said, yep, and he handed me a business card with his name and phone number on it, and it said, if you are ever in trouble, call me. We can get you out. 
and I walked away. I had no idea what that meant, but it really scared me. The second thing, the second thing, the violent racist community is not really that big, or maybe it is big, but it's tight knit. So it feels small. So you could be a dumb wannabe loser kid like I was and end up getting introduced to older people that seemed kind of important. I was at a skinhead cookout one weekend afternoon, and I got introduced to this older guy. He was probably my dad's age at the time, mid-40s maybe. He wasn't a skinhead. He was wearing Dockers or something. And he started talking really friendly to me and said, I hear you're applying to colleges, and that freaked me out because I was. And he said to me, we should talk about that. We can pay for your college education. We need smart guys, and I've, he- and I've heard you're a smart guy. I had no idea who this guy was, but I was pretty sure he was some sort of KKK person or something. I kind of nervously laughed and pretended to listen to him for a while while freaking out on the inside. I have no idea what he said, but, but in my brain it sounded like a bunch of delirious gibberish as I was having a panic attack, panic attack while trying to play it cool. After I backed my way out of that party, I knew I wanted to get really far away from those people. So our challenge for this podcast episode was hate, and this is the closest I've ever come to understanding how hate functions inside of me and how the hate can and will ruin my life. When I hear about kids in gangs or kids in terrorist organizations like Al-Shabaab, I think about the emptiness I felt during that time in my life and how much more intensely they are feeling the same things I was feeling and probably a whole lot more. I also think a lot about how white privilege functioned in my favor during that time in my life. I was given so many passes because of my race and class. I made it through high school and almost never visited the principal's office. Black and brown kids were getting suspended in my school for very minor offenses compared to what I was doing. George Zimmerman shot and killed 17-year-old Trayvon Martin in Twin Lakes in Sanford, Florida. Obie's house was less than five miles from that neighborhood. I was a kid the same age as Trayvon in that same town, and I never had to worry about being stalked and killed. I was given business cards by complete strangers telling me, we can get you out. As a side note, George Zimmerman has been in seven other altercations since killing Trayvon Martin, two of them racially motivated and three of them involving domestic violence against girlfriends. He has not done any time for any of this. In 2016, Zimmerman auctioned the pistol he used to kill Trayvon Martin for an unconfirmed sum of $250,000. He stated the proceeds of the weapon would go to combating the violence against police officers by members of the Black Lives Movement. That's it. All right, man, that's a lot to unpack, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. first of all, you know, congratulations for um for letting yourself be vulnerable and tell a really, you know, clearly uh personally held set of stories and ideas. Yeah, thanks. It was very hard, <laughs> but I don't know. It just felt like something that I have always was like a weird part of my life that I mm-hmm. I think about all the time but is really kind of impossible to talk about with anybody else. And so Right. Or with most people. And so I was like, well, I'm going to see if I can unpack this in a way that feels like other people can understand it and also just kind of own it, you know, and be like, this is mm-hmm. something that I did for a while and it was completely idiotic. Um, but also like, you know, in the twists and turns in our lives, like it could have been something really bad for a long mm-hmm. time. So. Well, one thing it gets me thinking about uh, is I think there is currently a culture around consideration of privilege and so forth where it's almost like saying, it's like it's like marking a rosary. I want to make sure I don't become, and I'm not saying that you did this, but become uh-huh. too comfortable in discussions of privilege. Like, what was it? I was talking to, I was talking to a colleague about turning 40 and how, you know, as a man, I need to now become more comfortable with certain invasive um, medical procedures. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, I was talking to a female uh, uh, colleague, and she sort of drew, she drew a breath in preparation to say something. And then I just instantly had the sentence come out, you know, but I would never, I would never compare my own experiences with what women have to go through. And the way mm-hmm. it just launched out of my mouth, I realized, like, if I get too much practice at that quasi self-flagellation, I'm going to seek to really, or I'm going to cease to really experience it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cause you, you know, this is something you went through. Like I I felt like the stuff that really spoke to me was the stuff where you were just really talking about what happened to you. Now, 
maybe that's because you're a friend of mine and maybe that's because we're both mm-hmm. white guys. <laughs> you know, so it's entirely yeah. possible yeah, that yeah. somebody else yeah. could listen and say, no, we're really glad, you know, those asides are there and maybe there even need to be more. And I think the only way to know is to share that, you know, more widely and get more feedback from it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, Tray- the Trayvon Martin thing for me was particularly palpable because it was like where I lived, you know? That one like, is very specific. Yeah, and so yeah, like when you're yeah. talking about Al-Shabaab, you know, that is sort of, that lives way over here in in both geographic and sort yeah. of yeah, yeah. relational yeah. space. But but yeah. yeah, so you make a great point that, Tray- I mean, Trayvon Martin is a part of that story and sort of the natural conclusion of that yeah, story. Yeah, right. Yep. Not yep. not that the story is over by any means, but so the challenge I have for you, are you ready for like a secondary challenge that's not related to our yeah, homework challenge? Homework, yes, yeah. Go go do it on the moth, dude. Go <laughs> I'm not go gonna... do it. <laughs> go do it. Ironically, the moth is like one of the things I like the least. <laughs> Tell me more. So it would be me applying your podcast challenge of of acquiring an aesthetic that you don't like. And twisting it into one that you do now, I yeah. I could do with the moth. We'll see how it goes. I'll try. Wow, I'm really glad that's over. I, <laughs> I yeah, you story, were you my, were nervous, dude. You were. Yeah, now I that nervous. I think about it in retrospect, I could tell you were thinking about it when you were talking about my stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's because yep. like it's yeah. It was like I I had done the mind mapping thing, and I was like, oh no, I just did. I just wrote down the thing that I have to do. Yeah, and like I'm gonna <laughs> feel like a giant a-hole for the next two weeks and and it like haunted me i was just like oh my god this is the worst but but it's out of my system now so i'm I'm glad i did it and this is what this podcast is about right it's like sure yeah work a new muscle so i worked worked a new muscle trying to do that well yeah i mean i want to respect that it's it's a risky thing to put that out especially to put it out in recorded format it's popular to be funny and say like don't at me or don't email me about stuff when you record a podcast but like mm-hmm. i'm actually totally happy to oh. own this like if anybody wants to talk to me about it or if anybody's pissed at me or whatever like mm-hmm. i'm happy to talk about it like it's part of like doing stupid shit when you're a kid like when you're an adult unlike brett kavanaugh like you have to kind of own what you did as a kid and not be a weaselly <laughs> shithead about it. Like yeah. you have like the penance I have to pay about talking about it and the risk of being misunderstood now as an adult is what I have to do because I was a stupid ass kid. And so like, mm. that's fine. Like just email me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Should we, uh, should we dig into the challenge for next, next episode? Yes. And I have in my hot little hand, Kate uh-huh. Conlon, Kate Conlon of following my burglar around to various places in Chicago on a map fame. Um, She has texted me a challenge as well, which I don't know if she also submitted it to email or not, but I've got it sitting right here, ready to go. Cool. So, um, dear audience, what we we didn't have a guest last week. Mm -hmm. We don't have a guest this week. And so what I got this random idea last week and I ran it by Taylor and said, Taylor, what if we... What if I email all of our previous guests and say, hey, we need a challenge, so just send this one, and we'll pick a random one. And it was like super last minute. It was like literally less than 24 hours ago that I decided like this could be a cool idea. So, But mm-hmm. we've gotten, uh, including Kate, we've gotten one, two, three, four, five, six back. Whoa. And so what I thought, so what I thought nice. I'd do is I have a spreadsheet that I will write Kate's in to, so we'll have six mm-hmm. total. And then I'm going to stir those up and then Taylor... If you want, uh, you could just pick a number between one and six, and we'll go with that one. Well, and you know, we're also going to wind up with episodes in the future that have no guests, so we should do these all at some point. Yeah, we'll just leave this pool here, and we'll just take the Mm -hmm. one out of it. How does that feel? The one that we pick, the one that gets picked, uh, we'll do, and then the other ones we have. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, Taylor, if you pick a number between one and six, we will have our challenge for the next episode. Uh, Five... Oh, okay. Wow. Okay, cool. So, number five, mm-hmm. our dear guest, Arturo Romo, mm-hmm. has sent us the challenge. This is so rad. They're all really our, good. So, I'm very excited to work on it. the bomb. Yeah, he's the, he is, he, yeah, yeah, he is the bomb. So, um, so his challenge is build a working camera and take a photo with it. <laughs> yeah haven't, haven't got that specific in a while yes 
Nice. And this challenge uh, will also be going to a guest for the next episode. So yeah, um, I'm excited about that one. All right. Well, that's, yeah, yeah that's so going to cool. be a load off compared to... It's nice to come off of a super conceptual <laughs> one and then just get something like... I don't have to dredge up uh, <laughs> old childhood memories for this one. Yep. Just, yep. Just do it. Yeah. I'm so excited to do something like this right now. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this one, I mean, clearly there's one very specific way that one would probably go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you run towards or away from that is the question. Yes. Yep. Cool. Thank you, Arturo. Um, and thank you, everyone else of our guests who had sent us stuff, we will probably assuredly definitely get through those over the next oh, year yeah. or so. So yeah, this is also actually maybe a good time to talk about our website projects.opposablepodcast.com where you can For see sure. all of our past projects from both Taylor and I and all of our guests. Mm-hmm. Um, except for maybe ironically this episode where I don't know if my story is going to be a project, but maybe it is. We'll see. Um, Maybe just like recursively loop back to the episode, which will annoy people. But yeah, uh, but we also have links in our show notes, and also we post cool stuff to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. If you share a podcast episode on social media, rate us on iTunes, send smoke signals, or do some other cool thing to let us know about the podcast, we will mail you an opposable thumb sticker. Just contact us on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast, or email us at opposable podcast at gmail dot com. Also, send me emails questioning my childhood there uh the stickers are awesome neon thumb wrestlers logo created by the mighty wolf mask and you can check out his other cool stuff at wolfmaskart.co.uk we would like to give a huge shout out to our top patreon supporters which is blondie hacks nick kantar and walter katundu thank you blondie hacks nick and walter if you'd like to join them in the league of patreon supporter badasses please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us uh, anything you donate really really helps keep the podcast going and also shout out to the other people who donate uh to us on patreon um at lower levels it's really rad and it's super cool to get that little bit of money every month uh for web hosting and stuff our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment free experience for everyone regardless of race gender age sexual orientation disability physical appearance body size knowledge of subject matter or religion or lack thereof we actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. And that was actually felt really relevant to me while I was writing my piece this time. There's been some great folks um, participating in more of a community way, previous guests. So I just, I was really into our episode 40 updates. Uh, so please, yes. everyone, go back and listen to episode 40. Uh, Andy Berkey sent us some stuff, although his year has not come in the mail yet. I haven't gotten it yet, so. It was awesome. Oh, cool, uh, but he, cool. But he was responding to the Oceanic theme, so we can talk about that oh, next right. time. Yeah, so Tim Sway and his magnificent skit, uh, which I do not want to ruin, but let's just say yeah. it was mind-blowing, both in terms of the amount of time he put into it, but also the yeah. actual content. Amazing, you know, yeah. Super rad. Yeah, um, yeah so that's yeah. been really cool. And then, you know, I ran into Kate Conlon today in the hall because we work at the same at Columbia College, and then she texted me at, you know, 9 p.m. on the dot to offer a challenge tonight. So one of the things I've just been getting really jazzed about is you undertake something like this podcast and we build this community. I also want to say Ranjit, I promise <laughs> that I'll have the documentation up on the project site. While yes. you're listening to this podcast, you can go check it out. But um, that's just been so fun. And uh, and the fact that, you know, Arturo sends this thing and I was like, oh, Arturo's episode was so good. And so, yep. yeah, I'm just feeling super jazzed yeah, and totally. um, want to keep that uh, that community spirit rolling. Yeah, it's super, super rewarding. Oh, I have one thing. Yeah. It's just a YouTube channel that I really like. Um. And if you're if you're a bikey person, there's a ton of bikey uh YouTube channels, you know. Oh, uh, YouTube yeah, I guess they're called channel channels. Um and a lot of them just don't really appeal to me or don't I don't know, they're not my thing. But there is one called Path Less Pedaled that's really cool and it's a very like down to earth bike YouTube channel. Um and it has some reviews and stuff, but it's just kind of fun and like cool and not like about carbon fiber this and that or like you know it's not like about racing and stuff it's just um it's just about riding a bike which is cool so um uh yeah 
it's cool. It's a it's a couple, Russ and Laura, and they live in Portland, Oregon. So anyway, that's all I got. Uh, speaking of YouTube channels, check out the channel of this dude Frank Clark, who has a, uh, oh. a cooking show on YouTube, all about what was it like to eat as a colonialist. Oh my uh, god! Or, or I'm sorry, a colonist. <laughs> oh my god! The, uh, but so yeah, so he'll make these colonial recipes like um you know uh frogs legs gooseberries canned candied fruit peels blah 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 but then that it's i think he might work at uh colonial williamsburg so he's got the whole setup and you know every so like he's dressed correctly and he has all the right uh ingredients and so forth i've been digging on that whoa that's so good yep check it out and he's a cool ass dude. And if I recall, he also gets into the like the oven building and that kind of stuff because you know it's funny how uh, narrow our roles are in modern times. But if you're the you know the uh, the barber, you're probably also like cutting tumors off people's throats and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> like the, you know the baker has to make his own oven and that whole thing. So pretty cool stuff. Uh, that's it. Yeah, shoot. All right, we're done. S- signing we, off. We have yeah, a guest that's... next episode. We haven't forgotten about our guests. We just have a little gap. Yeah, they're coming back. As much as yep. you all love to just hear us natter on, we need <laughs> some on. company. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay, so Rob. Our... Yes. Okay. Wait. Wait. So let me just make sure I got the challenge: is build a working camera and take a photo with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you, Archero. Okay. I like having the ideas, making no money, and getting out. That's my plan.